there's a paper that came out um, a good number of years ago, actually, and the name of the paper is Waypig, Feed Pig, Waypig, and Way, W-E-I-G-H, not W-A-Y. And the whole premise of that paper is that a pig never fattens because you weigh it. Because you put something on a scale doesn't mean that it gains weight or loses weight, right? Just in the same way that in student affairs or in academic affairs or in institutional improvement, just because you do an assessment doesn't mean anything improves, right? It's all about the feed. It's all about the action. It's all about closing the loop. Does what you do actually come back and have an impact or not? Hello, welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Dr. Glenn de Guzman. You know, I thought it would be fun to talk with three student affairs professionals who just love assessment and who've been very successful in what they do. And I am just very fortunate, lucky to have three people who I have known at different parts of my 25 year career in student affairs, who are, in my opinion, subject matter experts in assessment. So today we are going to explore what they think about the role of assessment and what it plays in our field of student affairs and just gain tips, advice, insight for student affairs professionals who are getting into it, just kind of a lay of the land. So Student Affairs Now, as you all know, is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find out details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Again, we want to make sure that we send gratitude to our sponsors. And this episode today is sponsored by Simplicity, a true partner. Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. This episode is also sponsored by Vector Solutions, formerly EverFi for, you old, for you, some of you old school folks, the trusted partner for 2,000 plus colleges and universities. Vector Solutions is the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. Again, my name is Glenn Guzman. I'm the Associate Dean of Students and Director of Residential Life at University of California, Berkeley. I use he, him, his pronouns. I'm recording this episode from Livermore, California, which is the ancestral home of the unceded territory of the Palin tribe of the Ohlone peoples. So let's meet our panelists. I'd like to welcome to the show, Dr. Jackie Thomas, uh, Go Bears, uh, Dr. Kevin Jin, Go Pioneers, and Dr. Jason Simon, Go Eagles. And they'll probably do a quick intro of who they are, but welcome to Student Affairs Now podcast. So let's get the audience to know all of you a little bit better. So the question that we always kick off our podcast is, um, you could introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit more about you, um, all, you know, you have all a deep professional track record in um, assessment. Just give an overview of who you are and, and how you got into assessment. Um, let's start with the, the eldest of the bunch. <laughs> Jason, how are you? Wow, now I know I've been in higher ed way too long. I'm great. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity to be here today and to share a, a perspective. And, uh, you know, it's so fantastic to just be able to have the space to be able to talk about big issues affecting the field of student affairs and higher education in general. I feel like, uh, you know, the role of higher education today is more important than ever. And so love, love the opportunity to be here. Um, I actually have 29 years of experience in higher education. Uh, I've, I started out originally as a student activities advisor at good old Wichita State University, home of the shockers. Nothing inspires fear like an angry little bundle of wheat uh, for my shocker fans <laughs> online. Um, and then um, through various career paths, found my way to the University of California, Berkeley, where I met yourself and, and Kevin at the time, um, working in the Alumni Association in advancement. And, and advancement was really where um, sort of I started to recognize the impact of data on decision making. It's very quantifiable as a field. And so when I knew I wanted to pursue my, my doctorate in higher ed here at the University of North Texas, uh, I reached out to my vi the vice president of student affairs at the University of North Texas and said, hey, I'm coming with a lot of data experience. Can you uh, help find me a grad assistantship in, in, in assessment? And that's where I got my start here at the University of North Texas in assessment. And from there, finished my coursework, completed the dissertation, became affiliate faculty member, and then went on to become director of assessment at the institution. Did that for a number of years. And that's where my career then took the turn away from student affairs. I was plucked into institutional research and effectiveness after an accreditation um, opportunity. 
And um, in my current role now, I'm Associate Vice President for Data Analytics and Institutional Research, and I report directly to our VP of Planning and Chief of Staff to the President. And my team and I um, help to leverage data to inform decision making. And we certainly do use um, assessment, traditional assessment methodology, but we also increasingly are using analytic, predictive analytics, machine learning, and data science. Thanks, Jason. Welcome to the show. I'm, I'm realizing this is going to have a thread. There's a, um, a UC Berkeley thread that's going to kind of weave through this introduction. Uh, Kevin, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Glenn, for the opportunity to, to be here today with you all. So hello, everyone. Kevin Jim, he, him, his uh, pronouns. I'm currently the Senior Strategic Partner for Institutional Initiatives and Assessment at Cal State East Bay. I got my start off as an undergraduate student at UC Berkeley, where um, I met Glenn. Um, and then I eventually met Jason at the Alumni Association. And so uh, that started my uh, delve into student affairs. I went to Colorado State University to the SAHI program uh, for my master's in higher education. And then I got my doctorate in higher education at Boston College as well. Uh, my introduction to assessment uh, really actually was through Glenn. I'm gonna put him on the spot here. And I remember the very first time that we were talking about graduate programs and I was thinking about uh, you know, core competencies and really, you know, some of the skills that you want to gain. One of the things that Glenn uh, pointed me to was the CAS standards. And for any of you all out there who don't know what the CAS standards are, I highly recommend you take a look at it. We're going to probably talk a little bit about CAS standards in our conversation today as well. But that was the first time I actually thought about what is assessment, what are standards, what are ways that we could take a look at our effectiveness. Um, as I worked in student affairs, I worked in student activities, student leadership, residence life and housing. I eventually moved up into um, institutional effectiveness and research and doing assessment and accreditation at the institution, le institution level. Uh, I've coordinated two uh, self-study reaffirmations for institutions now, and I currently serve on the WASC uh, subcommittee uh, task force as well here in uh, California. So I'll bring a perspective that's about student affairs, that's about academic affairs and teaching, and uh, a high level about institutional accreditation, and really looking forward to uh, sharing the time here with uh, Jackie and Jason as well. Thanks, Kevin, and thanks for that um, shout out. I apparently now owe you a beverage of your choice when you're in town. So <laughs> I, see, I see where you're going early in this podcast. And then Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Welcome to the show. Hey. So hi, everyone. Thanks again, Glenn, for the invite. I'm Jackie Thomas. I use she, her pronouns. I'm currently the Assistant Director of Assessment and Academic Success in the Residential Life Department at UC Berkeley. Um, I, I originally started my college career at UC Berkeley. So I did undergrad at UC Berkeley, uh, stayed in the Bay Area for grad school, got a degree in counseling, and then uh, realized that school counseling was not going to be the way to go um, during the financial crisis. So I went and got a doctorate in higher education and started working in higher education. Um, and that the um, doctoral program is exactly where assessment started for me. So I was pretty much committed to doing a quantitative dissertation because of a comment that a recent grad who was volunteering and um, came back to an orientation for new grad students in the doc program at uh, Cal Lutheran University. Uh, and he basically said, if you want to finish your dissertation with the least amount of pain possible, you can front load the work and do your quantitative, your dissertation um, using quantitative methods. And that was all I needed to hear. I was committed at that point. Uh, and I was ready to struggle a little bit with the quant class. Uh, I think like a lot of people, the numbers did scare me um, just a little bit because it had just been so long since I had taken math or done statistics or anything. Um, but I was ready to go through it, and I did not expect to fall in love with that IBM SPSS manual. And I know I probably sound like a big nerd, but that is exactly what happened. Um, for it, people who don't know what SPSS is, it's a statistical analysis software. Um, and when I was reading it, it just made perfect sense. Everything was explained really well. And just being able to understand and interpret numbers uh, and to be able to understand how to make recommendations off of those numbers made me feel really powerful uh, as a student affairs professional. So I, I loved it and didn't, um, didn't really want to stop using it. 
so when I eventually moved into student housing, I've been in student housing for about eight years now. Uh, I was in a position that didn't require a doctorate that did not require me to do assessment. Um, but I did feel like I had those skills and I didn't want them to get uh, old or dry or stale. So I asked to attend an assessment conference. Um, it's the assessment institute that ACPA puts on. Uh, and once I got back, I basically took over departmental assessment and the director of the department I was in at the time was happy to hand it over. Uh, I put it together a presentation for how I was approaching assessment um, at the departmental level and presented to uh, others in the student affairs division at the campus I was at at the time. And then I saw a position at UC Berkeley, which is the position I am currently holding now, where I can basically do everything in departmental assessment. I absolutely love this job uh, and the flexibility that it gives me. Uh, outside of this particular position, I am um, doing my own research and I presented at two conferences, um, two assessment conferences uh, for both national and international audiences. And I also am um, an emerging scholar practitioner reviewer with uh, the Journal of Student Affairs Inquiry, which is the Student Affairs Assessment Journal. So that's me. I'm so glad you love your job. It must be your supervisor. <laughs> I, I hear your supervisor is really cool. Um, no, but I, you know, it's funny. I can do a quick, quick sort of like, the, I'm theme, I have a theme here that's running across this group. So have an affiliation to UC Berkeley and you somehow end up with an assessment perspective and that includes myself. So um, um, shout out to UC Berkeley. Anyways, let's, let's um, thank you for the formal introduction. Let's get the um, audience to get to know you a little bit, you know, informally a little bit, sort of like a lightning round. Let's be quick with this one, but I'd like to know for each of you who was integral in your journey to get into, uh, into assessment. Now, it could be a person, maybe there was a, I mean, you referenced a book earlier, Jackie, but maybe a, a, another book, or was there a conference speaker who just captured you and just said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down this pathway. Um, does anyone wanna kick it off? Yeah, I, you know, I mentioned earlier that I worked at Wichita State for a few years, and what a lot of people may not know is that's the last institution that John Shu worked at while he was writing his his seminal book assessment and student affairs and so for me to be able to get the opportunity to be in the same division as him i mean he, he certainly planted a a strong foundation for for taking that book and applying it in some new ways and so for me definitely the the ability to to, to be with someone who i considered a thought leader in assessment at the time for sure john shu wow yeah I'll, I'll hop in here too so one of the things and this is maybe cheating the question but when I talk to student affairs or when I kind of do an introduction to assessment, um, I always like to give people resources. I always like to give people a frame of reference or something to look up uh, ahead of time. So the National Institute of Learning Outcomes Assessment, NILOA, um, release occasional papers every once in a while. And there's a paper that came out um, a good number of years ago, actually. And the name of the paper is Way Pig, Feed Pig, Way Pig, and Way, W-E-I-G-H, not W-A-Y. And the whole premise of that paper is that a pig never fattens because you weigh it. Because you put something on a scale doesn't mean that it gains weight or loses weight, right? Just in the same way that in student affairs or in academic affairs or in institutional improvement, just because you do an assessment doesn't mean anything improves, right? It's all about the feed. It's all about the action. It's all about closing the loop. Does what you do actually come back and have an impact or not? So knowing that the audience sometimes, you know, when we talk about assessment, especially in student affairs, we sometimes think about, well, I don't like numbers. I don't know how to do statistical analyses. I really don't know how to have access to data. But conceptually, I think we all know this, right? Like student success doesn't improve just because you did a survey or looked at analysis. Student success happens because you can make sense out of things and ask proper questions and close the loop. So I'll just use that as a way that I kind of tease out some of the introductions to assessment. But um, that for me was one of the papers when I read it and that's from James Madison University as well. So shout out to anyone at the JMU campus over there. Good job on uh, that paper and it having had huge impact in the ways that I frame assessment. Wonderful. So uh, I would say that there were two faculty members at California Lutheran University that were really integral to 
my development and my um, just interest in being in assessment. Uh, first was Dr. Dennis Sheridan, who I believe now is at Azusa Pacific University. And the other is Therese Ironman, who uh, came in at the end of my academic career there. Uh, but I was trying to finish my doctorate at that point when she came in. She was the most knowledgeable quantitative person on the campus or in the program at that time or in the faculty at that time. And while I saw a lot of my classmates getting the opportunity to uh, hire people to do their stats for them, she figured out that I could do the stats myself and pretty much just told me like, mm, I'm not gonna let you do it. I just wanna see how far you get. And I was able to do it. I was able to complete all of my stats on my own for my dissertation. So uh, just, I, I think that experience was really integral for me. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing all of it. Now let's start diving into some of this, um, this, this topic of just being data-driven, right? So Kevin, I'm gonna direct this question for you to start mm -hmm. and back in Jason, please add. We always say that it's essential um, to make data-informed decisions and it's really the best way to support and determine how to support our students. And I sometimes wonder if that really is the case because there seems to be a lot of other factors and variables. Maybe you could say this is all data, but you know, but that go into decision making, whether it's a budget um, um, challenge or maybe the, the current campus climate, maybe bandwidth of staff, maybe just how um, decision makers lead through their philosophy. Can, I'm going to ask you, what have you observed over your career that is true mm -hmm. to you and maybe what makes this not always the case? Yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned that, Glenn, because it, um, is it really the case that we always lead with evidence? Uh, no, it's not. But should it be? A absolutely. But and what, why should it be? I think one of the things that when we are in student affairs that we don't realize is that we have to first ask the question: Why do assessment to begin with? Right? Like, who is there anyone that forces us to do assessment? What do we use it for? Why is there such a big? Um, a, 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 why is there such um, a big priority on finding evidence and measuring effectiveness? Um, well, if you really want to know, it starts at the Department of Ed. And it goes down to the regional accreditors and it starts with the standards of institutional effectiveness and how do you ensure that you have a high quality education for the students that you provide. Um, if you look at any of the standards in any of the regional accreditors, there's actually something in there that says your resource allocation should be rooted in some sort of um, data right like you can't just arbitrarily put money into places or you shouldn't be it's not a practice. So I think that's where I start um, to begin with is that, you know, individuals who say that uh, if I'm going to have a leadership style that's going to be rooted in some sort of bias or here's what an agenda that I have and I want to, you know, really invest in those resources but not others, then, then you're making a mistake. Even if you listen to the um, Michelle Oss Cooper, who currently works in the Department of Ed right now, the Deputy Undersecretary for Education, she has talked a lot about accountability for funding the coronavirus uh, relief package, or the billions of dollars that were given to institutions, she's asking, so how did you know that money was effective? How did you allocate it in a way where you know that it actually had an impact on the students that you served? And if you can't actually give a rationale for that, well, that's an issue. And the regional creditors are now asking, so with the money and the budget that you have, with, with all of the financial restraints that institutions are having, how do you make these decisions? So it's not even a question of here's a philosophy that I have, but higher education is increasingly coming under um, scrutiny over how do you allocate your resources, what decisions that you make, and it all goes back into um, the assessments that you have using things like the CAS standards, which standardize everything for student affairs. It's laid out for there for you. It's a best practice. It's something you see in every graduate program. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that later on as well, but um, gone are the days that you can frivolously spend and gone are the days that you can hide behind the fact, well, it's just, I have a feeling this works. Um, I'm sure Jackie and Jason will talk a lot about, you know, on the analytical space, on the statistical space, what do we know that's factually true, that's grounded in something that will help student success, help advance equity, help um, us meet meaningful measures in retention, graduation, reducing academic probation. There's a whole uh, number of metrics we could take a look at, but I'll just stop there to see if Jason or Jackie want to chime in as well. And I'm sure they do. Jackie, why don't you go and add? Yeah, so I do see um, that 
decisions are not always made based on data. And in some cases, it's not necessarily a bad thing. So I, I think that a good leader has a three to five year plan or vision for their area. And maybe it's a different amount of years. Maybe it's only one or two, maybe it's 10, right? But a good leader is going to have a plan for a number of years. And they're gonna make a lot of decisions based on what aligns with that vision and what, what doesn't align with that vision. So if you present someone who is in a leadership position with data that would steer actions, decisions, funding, resources in another direction, one, it needs to be real substantive if it's going to be um, something that derails the vision overall. Um, but I will say that those visions are only as good as um, the data that they're founded on. So. I think that as long as the vision is founded in some substantive data, that it's whether you take on um, the advisement of future sets of data um, is is up to is up to the leader and all of the other things that they have to um, think about when they're making decisions. No, I, I think it's 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 as much as it is about data informed decision making. I also think it's about a culture where data is valued, appreciated, and respected. And as someone who has had to <clears throat> develop triangulated studies for executives to make multi-million dollar policy and, and program decisions, um, you know, it, to me, it's really the question of, is it really the leader not choosing to use the data or is it the folks who furnish the leader with the data not doing a thorough enough job to be able to present them with something that they can trust? And I think that's where this is oftentimes viewed as a disconnect in the field of student affairs assessment where, you know, why aren't they using the data that I'm producing? Well, maybe it's just what we're producing isn't really meeting the need now strategically. And so I think, you know, if we think about data and assessment as a continuum, you know, reporting assessment, indirect evidence, it happened in the past, you can't fix it, it's already too late versus more mature forms of utilizing data and assessment to get real time to Kevin's point, academic alerting, um, predicting who's gonna be at risk or who's not involved. Being able to look at real time ID card swipe data across a division of student affairs and identify within the first three weeks, which residents have never left their room and are not engaging anywhere on campus except in their classes. I mean, it really requires, I think, a fundamentally potentially new perspective on assessment in student affairs. And I loved Kevin, love Kevin's accreditation because he and I are cut from the same cloth on that as someone who also um, had accreditation responsibility. Um, it's no longer a privilege, it, it's an expectation. And I think um, we as a field is, we're really bound to the need to do a better job on the, on the data side. The last thing I'll say around this topic is, I, I fundamentally don't understand two kinds of, of, of practitioners. And apologies if this is, if this is you know, um, a bit off off topic. But one is someone who just asks for assessment for the sake of assessment. Hey, can you run some data for me? Without being able to answer the question that I pose back, what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. If you don't have the answer of what you're going to do with it, then no, we're not going to engage in the assessment. Um, and then the second group of folks would be um, those that assume that the students they serve today in their student affairs capacity are exactly the same as the kind of student they serve with the same program they took out of the box five years ago. This notion of not keeping up with the changing student demographics. And for us as an institution with 42,000 students now and a newly minted Hispanic serving institution and also an R1 research institution, the students that we're serving today and the data that we're generating today are fundamentally different than the students and data that we generated even just three years ago. Jason, I'm going to stay with you, um, uh, and then we'll see Kevin and Jackie want to add. But, and I want to be, uh, I want to kind of build up some of the things that you're alluding to. Now, I know all, all of you, I've known you, I've known you all. So I know that you've all done department assessment. I also know that all of you have been part of division or campus level um, involvement, institutional effectiveness. So, what are some of the observations that you see when working with other student affairs professionals that do these type of assessments? And more specifically, what do you think are some of the challenges or obstacles that campuses have? I think, well, without a doubt, first of all, it's resources. 
I, you know, typically I think with, I don't understand why as data tools, systems and applications become more and more advanced and the skill sets needed to be able to interpret and utilize those tools become more advanced, even as the vendors proliferate in the space, um, why most divisions of student affairs are still satisfied with one FTE and maybe a grad assistant. And so, especially for really large, diverse institutions of higher education with multiple departments, my first my first um, observation would be, you know, to ask the vice president, well, you know, what is your level of, of financial commitment, and how do we translate and change the view of assessment as a cost center into the view of an investment center where we can start to generate new returns. Obviously, given the economic value of retaining one single student, if you have a student affairs assessment professional that's partnering broadly with colleagues across campus can demonstrate the true value of student affairs in that equation of helping to engage students to, to help them stay, how do you put a price on that? I mean, I could put a price on it because we've done that study here at UNT, but, but certainly I think it's important to note. The other thing that I would say as an observation is that a lot of assessments today require a village. And it's the it's my favorite favorite African proverb, and I wish I knew the exact attribution of it, but I, I don't. Um, which is that if you want to run fast, run alone. If you want to run far, run as a group. And so, to me, I feel like that 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 should take the place as well. So, if we're going to launch a national survey of student engagement as a campus-wide assessment. That's got to be across partners from all of the different divisions. There needs to be buy-in for that assessment. If we're going to do, and I'm just throwing out some examples, if we're going to do the EduCause eCar survey on student and their use of technology, we definitely want to make sure that we have a partnership across the entire perspective. Now, could student affairs lead in that space? Oh yeah, on our campus, they definitely do. I've got an amazing director of student affairs assessment, Dr. Sarah Usby. She's very involved on, on the, the student affairs assessment listserv. Um, and so, you know, there's there's a strong connection point now between the Division of Student Affairs and, and the work that we do in data and analytics and institutional research. It doesn't hurt that I used to do her job and totally get what she's trying to do. Um, the last thing that I would say about department-wide or institutional-wide assessments is don't be afraid to really ask yourself what's not being measured on campus right now. The, our quick knee-jerk response is always to try to invest in a nationally normed survey. Why? Because it gives us comparable benchmarks to other institutions. But what if the unique situation that your campus is facing doesn't have to necessarily require a normed data set? Why not innovate, partner, develop something locally to be able to help your campus? And I think we're going to have a question later on when we start talking about equity and diversity. I'll give you a really good example of that. That's that's wonderful, um, Evan. Would you mind if I jump in here, Glenn? So I think I kind of playing off what Jason was talking about. Of you know, it really kind of takes a village and it takes an institution to make assessment work. As I think about student affairs and I think about my own experiences, and I'm going to own some of this as well when I entered the field and and working with student affairs today. Some of the observations that I have is that um, student affairs still really doesn't understand assessment, and there have been dozens of papers. I mean, you go to any peer-reviewed uh, journal out there, you go at JSARP, Journal of Student Affairs, all of them, and they'll talk about how student affairs still is yet to understand assessment. And it's it's true that when you start thinking about, um, many of you who are listening to this podcast, I wonder, how many of you know how to calculate an institution's retention rate? Because I always get that question, what's our retention rate? What's our graduation rate? And then I'll ask, well, what do you want? You want the four-year or the six-year? Do you want your freshman or do you want your transfer? which ones do you want? Do you want this aggregated by Pell eligibility, first generation? Do you want it by, you know, um, what equity measures are there? What gaps are there? And they'll say, well, no, I just want to know how many students we're retaining. And I'll ask, but what does that mean? So I think we need to fundamentally go back to our graduate programs and to our training and to our mentorship and to the ways that we supervise, the ways that we understand and can admit, maybe I don't understand how these reports are or how these measures are calculated. If you know what iPads is, I always ask, you know, do you ever go to iPads and take a look? And they look at me like, what's iPads? And it's like, okay, well, let's talk about what iPads is. Um, and then we get into the instrumental role. So Jason, I'm going to go off of what you said. You said Nessie. And then this, this prompted something in my mind. How many of you all who do Nessie on your campuses actually know the questions that are asked in Nessie? Because uh, it's usually, my experience has been, we do the Nessie survey and the Student Affairs Division says, let's do the survey. And then they'll say, well, what did you find? And then it's like, well, what, what, what questions? Were you interested in what were the themes or we'll do the bessie i'm sure most campuses out there right now do the bessie the beginning college student survey and so we have a profile of what the students mindsets are coming into the institution yet how many of you know what questions are there 
What about the National Clearinghouse, right? Do we know where students go when they depart the institution? We can answer that question as well. So I think the first thing that you need to think about when it comes to student affairs is even, yes, we're limited by resources, absolutely. But if you have resources and don't have the, the basic data literacy to understand you know, how to actually formulate questions and understand what assessment is, and I'll throw another one out there, what's the difference between direct and indirect evidence? I think that's a key one as well. If we were to say out there, you know, I'll give everyone, you know, five minutes to brainstorm everything that's direct and everything that's indirect, could we actually have a balanced list or not? So these are the conversations that I like to have with student affairs and that I really encourage emerging student affairs professionals and directors and mentors and people working in assessment to really ask the questions because it's going to be important for you to actually have um, that grasp of, of, the, of the competencies of assessment before you even move into doing it. And Kevin, I would say also causation and correlation. Call, yep. A lot of times in student affairs assessment, we, we say, oh, the student that used service X, their retention rate is 87%. Mm -hmm. yeah. The student didn't use service X, their retention rate is 80%. Well, how do, how do we know? And so in traditional assessment, that becomes very difficult. Um, when you get into the space of where we're working, where we're building artificial intelligence models and we're actually literally loading in 8 million student affairs records, and I can actually tell you the impact on our, on our, on our data science area under the curve for, for, for interpretation, that's a whole different story of where we're able to say, no, this is the impact on retention. So I, I agree with you. Data literacy is fundamental, but right now, unfortunately, and we'll probably talk about this later on in the grad prep question, Right now, we're mostly focused on methodology. We're mm -hmm. not focused on what does the methodology mean. And sorry, Jackie, you probably have something to say too on this one. Yeah, so I wanted to uh, go a little bit deeper into like the effects of the under-resourcing of student affairs assessment or just, right. So so you have your your student well you have your student affairs assessment folks right and we're out there and we're trying to assess as much as we can and give people the best data we can and then you have your student affairs professionals who are not assessment folks but are probably interested in assessment because they know it's important and they want to use it right so i think when you start thinking about an a divisional level or an institutional level even um under resourcing assessment means that the people who are not student affairs assessment professionals are not necessarily given the time to learn to do assessment well, which is basically what you said. And then they, you know, they keep advancing in their careers. And then you have senior professionals who don't know how to make data-driven decisions. And then also when you have your student affairs assessment professionals that are trying to get people excited about assessment and you're trying to build your culture of assessment and you're trying to build competencies around assessment, Sometimes you just have to go in and ask for data because you're trying to build the data um, data sets that people are going to need to be able to make successful decisions in the future. And they don't understand. And because they don't understand and we haven't taken the time to really build competencies around assessment, when you ask for that data, you don't always get quality data or you, they wait to the last minute to give you the information. And it's not because you know they didn't wanna do it. Everyone's busy on college campuses, but that affects data. Well, that, that affects the data that we're able to collect and the decisions we're able to make around decisions, um, around data um, in the future as well. You know, Jackie just caused me to think of something. You know, I, I, the other piece of this too is trying to engender, a, a, I don't think we're ever gonna engender a love of assessment in every single student affairs professional. Rather, I think we're gonna to have to make some use cases around why it's valuable to them in their career. So first of all, I would say every institution needs to have some form of assessment team with representation from across each of the student affairs units. And even if they only meet once a semester or once a month, there should be some group that is brought together to help discuss the issues of assessment. Second, I would ask the, the question, when was the last time that assessment was an equal stakeholder in the budget process for the, for the Division of Student Affairs? Is the, is the assessment officer at the table when budgets are decided? Is actual assessment data utilized and provided to either leadership or a student service fee committee when the budgets are being allocated? Um, I like to encourage our student services fee on our campus um, to ask every single person that comes forward with, a, with an SSF budget request to see a copy of their usage statistics from the involvement and engagement dashboard that we put out every year from card swipe data. So I feel like there's ways 
that we can either help be nice and bring people to the water to make them drink, but sometimes you just have to throw folks into the pool and help them swim out. Yeah. You know, Jason, Jason, you brought up a good point. Not everyone's going to nerd out with assessment in our field. And I don't know why. It's such a good thing to nerd out of, but okay. This, this group, I think we all did. <laughs> minority here. But I want to dive in and go deeper to um, Kevin, you, you, your response to that last question. Mm -hmm. And you, you kind of, um, and I'm going to, but I'm going to have Jackie respond to this to start. Because I think about like my depth of understanding in assessment didn't occur during my grad program. It occurred actually when I became a professional because I started to see the value of how that can help influence and how I can utilize that to leverage and influence others if I need a certain, if I wanted to go in a certain direction or a certain pathway or to get a certain decision being made. When I think of my grad preparation program, shout outs to Colorado State University, go Rams. I know that I took a stats course. I had my practicum where I, I built program evaluations, maybe built something that looked like a student learning outcomes. I, you know, if I think back, probably wasn't a really good one. I, you know, but I, I guess the question for me, for you, Jackie, is what advice would you give to not, I, I'll give you choices here, student press professionals, or maybe even faculty um, in grad prep programs. So we can start to maybe create a, a, a a professional population who maybe can nerd out and fall in love with assessment or at least have a solid competency in, in, in this because I think it's it is something that's really critical in our field. Thoughts? Yeah, so I'll start with faculty and I'm sure that uh, Jason and Kevin are have a lot of thoughts on the, the faculty and the grad students, but briefly faculty and grad students, uh, I think that when you are looking at grad prep, grad prep programs, it's important for students to see the outcomes of assessment. So yes, there's an, you know, here's, a, here's an assessment project and we're going to run these stats or we're going to do this qualitative uh, research together as a class because most of these classes have some type of experience-based um, project, which is perfect. But to show students what the, what the outcomes are, what decisions were made, uh, what additional funding was made, how retention rates or other student success uh, metrics were affected is really important. Um, I think for grad students, getting familiar with the ACPA and NASPA competencies around assessment um, and evaluation is really important um, just to be familiar with what they are and how you can move from foundational to intermediate to advanced. Um, but for new professionals, um, this can be difficult. I think that when you're a new professional and you're not necessarily in a seat where you get to make a ton of decisions, what you can do is start where you are. So it's really about being honest about what's in your jurisdiction and not necessarily like what's in your boss's jurisdiction or what's in the you know director of the department's jurisdiction and so on and so forth, right? What, what decisions are in your jurisdiction and what data can you use to drive those decisions? You should talk about that in meetings, talk about the data that you're using um, to make your decisions in meetings, um, group meetings, staff meetings with your supervisor. People appreciate things like that. People respect things when it comes from numbers, especially when everybody has access to the data source too. You can be a really good uh, influence on others to use data um, to make their decisions. And then I would also say, because new professionals are typically looking to move up and forward in their careers. So keep track of those outcomes um, of your data-informed decisions. Uh, don't just make a bunch of data-informed decisions and forget about them, right? Keep track of what you do and talk about it in those interviews um, moving forward. Because at this point, I think most um, student affairs positions are asking questions about assessment. Jason, Kevin, what do you think? Jason, you hop in first. Um, great. So thanks, Kev. Um, I, I would say recognize when we talk about grad prep programs that it's not just masters. And so I think there's a real mismatch right now at the doctoral level curriculum. Um, I'll start there and work backwards. Uh, I feel like most of the assessment courses that I've been, either I've been asked to come in and do a guest lecture or a team teach on, um, it, it's very much focused on survey methodology, focused on um, qualitative focus group process, and, and those are really vitally important. 
but I'd like to take it to a slightly different level. I'd like to see more, especially graduate faculty programs teaching about analytic literacy, teaching about data literacy, teaching about how to establish a culture of data-informed decision-making across any area of higher education. You know, it really concerns me when, when folks who are making decisions around, let's say a, a really expensive technology implementation that's supposed to solve all their problems in a box, don't understand or know the right questions to ask the vendors or the developers or even within their own campus, the folks that put that together um, about things like equity, about things like assumptions in the algorithm. Is it a black box? Is it, is there, is it our data? Do we have to lose our data? Like basic questions that I think today's higher education administrator needs to take their level of assessment and data literacy up a little bit. With, with regard to uh, master's degree students, um, I really feel like so much of the focus is just spent on teaching them how to do X, Y, or Z, or plug button A into plug in B and B and C, that instead we lose sight of what the real purpose is. And I, I would love to see more graduate curriculums embed inquiry in all of the coursework, not just the one token student affairs assessment class in the cohort. I would love to see assessment be part of capstone experiences for master's thesis, um, just in different ways. I, I just feel like that we, I mean, let's think about our own personal lives and the data that surrounds all of us right now. Do we live all of our lives because of surveys that we respond to or are we living our lives of all the different forms of data and the internet of things and everything that's coming through our, our, our spheres of influence on a daily basis? Why do we keep limiting within higher education the definition of assessment? I don't get it. Thank you. So this is, um, we alluded to this in the very beginning of this podcast, and I think that diversity, equity, inclusion is becoming very central to our work. And I know that campuses are now really trying to see how they can assess and measure and get a, and get a good understanding of their climate. So my question, and I'm going to start with you, Kevin, um, how has assessment helped campuses and departments evolve over the, the past five, 15 years um, to better serve our students? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's an interesting question, Glenn. It, it's a big question. I think it varies. And so my, my, my response here is going to vary a little bit as well. I think for, for the most part, um, one of the things is we get back into what is the purpose of higher ed, right? There's a democratic purpose to this. So if we're not graduating students and setting them up for success, if they're not learning um, and there's no social mobility, we're fundamentally failing here, right? So we always have to keep equity at, at the forefront of everything we do here. Who's learning? who's not learning, who has access, who doesn't have access. And, and when we really start doing assessment, it requires us to disaggregate. That's the key word, right? You hear that disaggregate word all the time, but what does it really mean, right? So when we have conversations about assessment in student affairs or on campus or in academic affairs, uh, we, we, at least on the campuses that we're at now at Cal State East Bay under the direction of Dr. Fenny Young, she has asked us to say, what is the equity angle that we're taking here? Because every sort of assessment needs to have equity embedded into it. So, for example, we were taking a look at the students who are um, uh, not passing the intro, uh, intro 101 course, for lack of a better you know, uh, term for it. And so we were taking a look at that, and wouldn't you know, um, almost three quarters of the students who were not passing that course were underrepresented minorities, which the CSU system calls URM, Black, Latinx, and Native American students. That's a huge issue. That's a gigantic issue. So what can we do there? Um, well, let's take a look at who are these students, right? So we took a look at the students at the BESI, the Bain College Student Survey. And what we found is that the students who weren't passing the introductory course, majority of students had AP units they were coming into the school with. The majority of them had a GPA over 3.0. The majority of them were in honor societies. 86% of them intended to graduate from Cal State East Bay. 99% of them expected that their first courses were to have collaborative teamwork together to discuss career plans with their faculty and to also have study sessions outside of the, of the courses. So we start asking the questions, what is, how are we teaching our students? And are we being responsive to the needs of the students culturally and to their mindsets? And so we have to start thinking about who has access to higher ed, who's succeeding, who's not succeeding, and then coming up with meaningful measures that make sense for us. So equity measures need to be meaningful. Whatever measure we come up with, whatever outcome, we have to really define what is student success. And that's another key buzzword. You hear student success all the time. 
what is student success really because it sounds good to say well i'm dedicated to student success but can you actually define what that means again it goes back into is it um identifying students who are going on ap and reducing that is it getting students to get engaged on campus and what is engagement what are the touch points that constitute engagement what you know is a meaningful engagement is it retention is it graduation and is it when is it graduating is it within the two-year four-year six-year or is it just getting them to the end point so i'll stop there because I, I know that jason has been doing a lot of really uh progressive work with the data analytics side on unt um, but I'll just throw it to the audience that you first have to understand and define what is equity and what are you trying to measure here? Because it could be in housing, it could be activities, it could be in community engagement, it could be in the curriculum, it could be anywhere. Laura, sure is Jason. I think, first of all, you have to not separate yourself from the data that you're working with. You have to recognize if you have any implicit bias, you have to recognize if there's a privilege of perspective or a way that you were raised that influences how you view the work you do on your campus. Um, you know, there's there's a lot there to unpack. I get it. But what I what I would say, though, is um, for us, it's also a matter of really trying to overcome some significant uh, hurdles as a field. If you look at the iPads data, the way that it's structured, gender is very black and white. Ethnicity is very locked in. Um, so we're talking about lots of lumping and aggregating. We are wholesale ignoring certain members of our society right now because we don't have a way of capturing their information on a national or even in some cases at some state levels. So I think when we start talking about data and assessment and equity and assessment, we have to start there. That there is going to be a need for individual units to do a little bit on their own locally because the data is just not there nationally. And so for us, we now do a, every semester, we do a campus pulse survey of campus climate. And it's a relatively short assessment, but we're asking all the right questions. And now we have a longitudinal data set. We partner broadly across all of our divisions and we disaggregate that data by school and college. We disaggregate it by ethnicity. We disaggregate it by sexual orientation and we pass it off to our employee resource groups. I mean, there's lots of ways that we're now using data more effectively from an equity lens. And clearly, when you read the headlines around how certain artificial intelligence, machine learning, black box tools are really predicated and built upon some pretty racist slash not good things, um, I think it requires all of us as student affairs practitioners and data professionals to take a step back and really ask the tough questions about what we're thinking about when we're seeing results. Love what Kevin said about disaggregation because it's amazing once you once you stop comparing within groups and you start comparing within just that group and looking at trends over time. What I'm trying to say there is so instead of just comparing whites versus Asian Americans and putting them side by side on a graph and saying well, why is one lagging behind the other. That, that's not that's just perpetuating lots of the of the historic inequities that we're dealing with. Rather, we should be looking at within the trend. How are Asian Americans doing over time? Are they growing? Are they slipping? And then we can start to design conversations and initiatives to address that. To me, I just feel like we need a complete reset. And this is it's so funny to me how all these questions keep coming back to grad prep in some cases, but there needs to be some real focus and conversation on on this at the graduate level. And so for me, you know, you guys threw out your, your, your grad school. So I went to the University of Vermont and, and there now, this is a really big deal and it's a really big issue. And so I think we need to start there. It needs to, it needs to really propagate from the very beginning. Thank you, Jason, for that. You know, I'm starting to look at time. And so I wanna kinda um, start sorta closing out this conversation as much as I don't really want to, but um, I do wanna hear from each one of you, um, you know, you've all done so many different types of assessments and maybe um, if you take an interview approach and sort of a concise response, what assessment are you most proud of professionally and why? And it could be for a variety of different reasons. So it's an open question. Jackie, do you wanna lead us off? Yeah, so I actually have two things um, I wanna highlight and I'll do it in my, in my short amount of time I'm supposed to use. But um, first is a, a learning goals project uh, that I took on with, a, with an amazing grad student um, from Penn State. And uh, we built learning goals for staff for our, for our RAs as well as for our, our RDs. And we used job descriptions, CAS standards, the NASPA ACPA competencies. And then when we, uh, we use all of that as well for the RAs, but we also included student development theory and everything is grounded in those things. So once we built the assessment, uh, we were able to 
pinpoint the specific tasks associated with all the major responsibilities in um, both positions um, for both positions to be successful. And we were, we asked them like, how knowledgeable are you when it comes to this particular task, right? This really important task for your position. Um, And then how confident are you when you carry it out? And then if they indicated that they weren't knowledgeable or weren't confident, then we asked them why. And we are giving that information back to supervisors and making recommendations about in general, you know, a lot of people are not confident about this thing. Maybe you should do something different in training. So I'm really excited about that particular assessment. And uh, just finished it um, the second year. So I'm looking at um, giving data back to supervisors real soon. And then the other thing is more of a project, an assessment project, not so much a like a survey or anything that I collected data with, but I've been building presentations for both new and seasoned professionals on how to approach unit assessment or departmental assessment in particular, um, how to make data informed decisions and things like that. And those are things that I'm, um, I'm pretty proud of those because I get good feedback and I see people using uh, data afterward. I definitely benefit from that work right now. So thank you, Jackie. Uh, Kevin. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a, um, a, a quick approach to this. So I, again, I'll remind everyone that I started off in alumni affairs, work at the Alumni Association, then in student affairs, I did housing, residence life, student activity, student leadership. So don't think that I'm any statistical guru over here. I don't have really any stats training outside of the graduate courses I took. Um, yes, I could use SPSS. Yes, I know how to use Tableau. Yes, I know how to use Power BI, but I'm not really that skilled in it in that way. So I just want to be able to tell you all that as we kind of get into this and what I'm going to explain as my kind of most proud assessment moment, it was helping to um, coordinate reaffirmation of accreditation for two institutions, you know, one of them at Boston College, one of them at Holy Names University. Again, I'm going to tell you, I wasn't trained in this. So I'm going to say this to all of you all sitting out there right now as student affairs professionals, you can do this. It's not about um, if you can do the regressions in your head. It's not about the statistical chops that you have. It's about the questions that you answer. It's about the mindset that you have for continuous improvement. And can you actually understand what are the ways that we're trying to increase student success and improve and and, um, ensure the quality of higher education and the degree and the services that we offer? So those are two things that I'll put out there that I think I was most proud of because I realized that under just the tutelage of someone who's willing to teach me, uh, Dr. Bob Newton over at Boston College, um, he took me under his wing and taught me. And so all of us, I think if you reach out to any one of us on here, we're willing to teach you. And even with my mentees right now, I, I teach them. I'm working right now with an academic advisor who said, I've never done assessment before. It's not that you've never done an assessment before, it's that you need to reframe the work that you're doing in a way that actually is about continuous improvement and student success. So I'll just put it out there that um, I think that any of us can do it and, and I'm proud that I was able to um, have people show me along the way, including Glenn and Jason on this call here. I was gonna flip it around. I was gonna say, you know, I had a conversation with you many years ago and you told me about WASC accreditation. Yeah. I actually got my accreditation because of you telling me about that. So you influenced me, Kevin. Uh, Jason, close us out with this question. Yeah, I would say two, two or three. One would be, um, you know, we were noticing that we were losing students, not only at those who were in academic difficulty, but also those who had very high GPAs. So we, we engaged in a really novel assessment approach of why I stay. And what we did was beyond just the focus groups who were really inform- informative, but we also ended it by giving them all sheets of paper and magazines. And we said, we want you to clip out of the magazines and assemble collages that typify your experience at the institution. And then we look for themes within those collages. And that was just a fantastic visual way to present that forward to our executives. Uh, Because everyone is used to seeing tabular data, but when you suddenly see these really creative uh, montages of, of the student experience, it really translated in a different way. Um, then in more of a direct evidence kind of way, really looking at assessing students that were at risk for drop for non-payment of tuition. And, and so really designing a specific analytic product that had to bring to lots of data together and lots of um, both direct and indirect evidence to be able to identify where we were at risk of losing someone and, and what would the impact of just basically extending them a $100 short-term loan be. So very uh, two examples, right? One very direct, one very indirect. Um, and, and then probably the last thing that I would say is really proud of the fact that that 10 years ago, uh, we started a student affairs assessment portrait symposium on our campus. 
And prior to COVID, we would get anywhere from 300 to 350 people from across campus. And it provided all of our student affairs assessment areas an opportunity to, to share with what they learned throughout the year on their assessment with members of the community. And we had faculty, we had associate deans, we had assistant deans. That program actually even won the NASPA gold medal for assessment several years back. So really proud of that um, element. So um, really fantastic conversation today. Thanks again, Glenn. I, I love I love the response, all your responses to that question. And just a reminder for our listeners, if you go to the Student Affairs Now um, website, uh, contact information for these folks are there um, forever. Happy to talk. <laughs> so please feel free to contact them because I know that 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 they would love to share more about what they're doing. So this is our final question. It's our wrap up question. Um, this podcast is called Student Affairs Now. Um, so please take about 30 seconds to a minute. Um, really, if you could summarize what you're pondering, what you're questioning right now, maybe something you're excited about, or maybe something that was said in today's podcast that you want to kind of reflect on. Um, I just want your final thoughts. And let's, um, we started with Jason. So let's go in reverse. Jackie, you're up first. Honestly, I think that conversations like this it, are really exciting for me. Meeting people like Kevin and Jason, who I hadn't met uh, before today, really exciting for me because it is um, very common for those of us who are in student affairs assessment to work in a little bit of a silo and to not necessarily always get the opportunity to talk to other people who are doing what we what we do. And it's great to be a subject matter expert. Um, and I mean, I definitely take that with um, you know, a level of seriousness and I make sure I stay up to date on um, knowing like the latest and greatest happening in student affairs assessment. Um, but it also means that I don't necessarily have someone to always bounce things off of. So I just, I really appreciate um, organizations like student affairs assessment leaders um, and conversations like this. So thanks. Thanks, Jackie. Kevin. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I don't want to be a downer here, but there is something on my mind that does relate to assessment. I do want to call out the one thing here that we haven't talked about assessing, and that's ourselves, the human capital part of it. And, and we all know right now, on higher education in general, but student affairs acutely aware of the burnout that's happening and the departures that are occurring there. And so I would, this is a call out for those doing assessment, those who are institutional leaders, those who are vice presidents, those who have a role in helping assess morale and climate, um, assess the viability of your staff right now. You know, see what are the workloads? What are response times? Who's departing the institution? I would venture to guess if you start taking a look at departures of the institution for people in these frontline critical roles that you'll be very troubled at who's gonna be leaving here. Take a look at resource allocations and also the amount of work that is now being asked of of your staff as well. So Glenn, going back full circle to your first question about, so how are resources allocated and how decisions are being made? This is a call out to student affairs assessment individuals and those who are doing institutional assessment and leaders. You need to assess your staff as well. We do assess students, but it's about institutional effectiveness. Remember that, institutional effectiveness. And, and we're all part of the institution. So I will um, leave it at that for a, a hanger. Thanks, Kevin and Jason. I'm struck by and, and really excited about the intersectionality between assessment and analytics. I feel like there's a lot of potential there for, for student affairs practitioners to get more deeply entrenched into modern approaches to data, data literacy, and data culture, and maybe um, stop resurrecting just the historic practices of assessment past, but rather really look to head to the future. Um, I would say, you know, really, if, if you're even remotely interested in assessment, um, don't just limit your own boundaries and horizons by just thinking it has to be X, Y, or Z. Really look broadly across the field. Um, I could see a future date and time when masters and doctoral programs have specific tracks for people who want to have experience in assessment, data, analytics, modern predictive analytics as a whole new subfield of our institution, especially as the risks get higher and higher and the price gets higher and higher for the cost of an education. And we don't want to be saddling our students with massive amounts of debt. We have to do a better job. So I think there's a real social, ethical, and moral calling for assessment practitioners to jump into these conversations. Um, and so I, I, I really believe that the future is bright, but we just have to shine a spotlight on ourselves and make it that way. 
Thanks. And I want to thank all our guests, um, Dr. Kevin Jen, Dr. Jackie Thomas, and Dr. Jason Simon for joining me on this podcast. When I also thank Nat, who's going to take this, this recording and basically transcribe and get it prepared for airing. Um, so thank you, Nat, for that. And again, I want to thank our sponsor, Simplicity is the Global Leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limiting, limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success, and accessibility services. To learn more, visit simplicity.com or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And I also want to thank Vector Solutions. How will your institution rise to reach today's socially conscious generation? These students report commitments to safety, well-being, and inclusion are as important as academic rigor when selecting a college. It's time to reimagine the work of student affairs as an investment, not an expense. For over 20 years, Vector Solutions, which now includes the Campus Prevention Network, formerly Ever5, for, again, for those old school folks. They have been a partner of choice for over 2,000 colleges, universities, and national organizations with nine efficacy studies behind our courses. You can trust and have full confidence that you are using the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. Transform the future of your institution and the community you serve. Learn more at vectorsolutions.com forward slash student affairs now. To our audience and listeners, thanks for joining us. I'm so happy that I got this is kind of a reunion for me, so I'm happy to be hanging out with my, my people. If you're listening today and you're not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page to add um, your email to our MailChimp list. Um, while you're there, check out your archives. Um, I'm just so proud of um, Student Affairs Now. We have been blowing up. Um, our download numbers are closing in on 40,000. If not, we're over. So I'm Glendon Guzman. Thanks for listening and watching. Wherever you go, go out and make it a good day. And um, we'll see you around. Bye, everybody.